Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Oh, Beethoven, ah, for Elise, so beautiful. Session, muy bonita. Excellent. Wow. I tell you, it's good to start with beauty because it puts a beautiful shine and sheen on everything that follows, even if what follows can get a little sticky. Because it will, because that's the conversation today. First of all, I do want to just invite any of you who may be listening live to call in today, there really is space for that today, to 602-753-1860. That's 602-753-1860. In case you want to pose a question or make a comment about what you're hearing or the like, okay? That door has been flung open. Okay, so this is my speaking about reality and hope part two. How many parts will there be? That remains to be seen, my friends. That remains to be seen. But it is a subject that does need to be discussed because all of us are being hit in the gut, if we're paying attention, to what is going on here on our planet in general, uh, what's going on yeah, pretty much everywhere. Let's just face it. We all strive, yearn, wish to be happy. I believe there's a part of us that is happy to be alive that is sort of like evergreened. It's like always there, this deep thanks, gratitude at base of our very existence, our ontology, if you will. And that is sort of almost a permanent fixture in the psyche of man. Hope and survival. There's this, this delicate interface and um, kind of engagement, uh, entanglement, if you will. And uh, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because we're facing so many hardships on every single level of reality. When we look first at the outside world for a moment, oh, it's a beautiful day, the sun is shining, and then we see a wafting of smoke from a smokestack right by our window. What? Nature is beautiful. But yet, what is this stench? A man-made chemical stench? So this is what we call a problem, a tension, a conflict in what is otherwise a beautiful, natural, um, humbling, and magnificent space. So we've got that then maybe we uh, experience some issues, social issues, walking down the street or dealing with somebody, uh, you know, a cab driver if we're on our bike, as I often am, uh, or, you know, a cashier or 
uh, difficult phone call, someone is being a bit rude or crude or coarse or is in a very down mood and it starts to bring you down, whatever. Again, another level of tension, stress, potential, and conflict with which we have to deal. Yet, if it weren't for that, we would be shining and a bit happy and pleased and pleasured and happy to be alive, you know, happy-go-lucky with our, uh, you know, our little tail wagging in the wind, you know. And then we, oh, God, turn on the news and hear some news about, uh, you know, this president and his White House and the lies that issue forth, you know, like water coming down on a waterfall from one. And you're kidding me. This can't be the president of the United States, can it be, who speaks so coarsely about everyone and everything? No, I've got the wrong channel. Well, you try to turn the channel, but you see the same thing on the next channel. Anyway, I'm having a little fun with you, but you understand what I mean. So we, we, we see tension and stress and conflict actually everywhere. If you dig deep down, you see that, in fact, we have disrupted the natural cycles so profoundly that the ice caps are melting. Well, what does that mean? What's the big deal about what's going on up there in the Arctic Circle? Well, everything. Because when that, else, uh, when that <laughs> ice melts, it goes and it increases the volume of the ocean. And the ocean is lapping the shores of our cities, our ports, everywhere in the world. And these are the places of greatest density and population of our human species, is along coastlines and ports especially. So you go, well, wait a minute. That means everybody can potentially get flooded out. What about the small island nations that populate the Pacific? And not only the Pacific, but largely well, there are hundreds of thousands and literally millions of people, after all, that inhabit these. And if the water levels rise too far, whoosh, gone, gone. And we have seen examples of this already. As you know, there have been climate refugees going on now for really for decades Ah, oh, but I didn't see it in the news. Right, of course, and you're not going to see it in the news, most likely, unless you go digging around for some good news, like you will find, you know, when I say good, I mean good, but I also mean, let's say, truthful, actual, factual, not hiding, and you will find it in a number of places, thank goodness, truth out. You will find some of it, of course, in Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. You will find it largely uh, on PRN and uh, the number of shows there, especially Gary Null. Uh, and you can find um, Common Ground. There are numerous places, really, these days with the Internet to find real news. Let's just call it that. This news is not just for intellectual pondering. A lot of this news is for a call to action. That's right, action. Why? Because 
we're in deep trouble, my friends. We're deep in trouble here in River City, right here, right now. So if you actually look at the science, the physics, the biology, the chemistry, the geology, uh, when you look at weather forecasting, when you listen to climatologists speaking, you go, whoa, I am fortunate enough to wake up to a beautiful day, albeit with a few smokestacks not far away uh, and the like, <clears throat> some car exhaust, thank you very much. Relatively speaking, I and so many of us are, are very fortunate to not be refugees of any sort. Uh, immigrants, yes, <laughs> but not refugees. And we're living relatively stable lives for now. But what we don't see behind the curtain might be what's most dangerous. The people in Indonesia two weeks ago had no clue a tsunami was about to hit them. He just didn't know. So their lives, on a dime, changed. Just changed. So this is the kind of awareness that I am seeking to cultivate in a better world radio and TV listeners and viewers and those of you who get the newsletter. This kind of keen awareness and education so that we can all be prepared for the tsunami that really is coming, and it's coming on many levels. It may be an actual literal tsunami, but there's a tsunami, it could be argued, going on culturally right now here in the U.S. of A. Uh, there are tsunamis happening with a Me Too movement, what's happening with the Supreme Court, and there's kind of a shakedown and a shake-up um, that has to do with a re-identity and a redefinition of ourselves and who we are and what is integrity and is it important or is it no longer important? Is news important of what's going on, true news of the story of what's happening or is fake news uh, prevailing? And how do we distinguish and who are we to distinguish and just what are our values anyway? i.e., what do we value? I feel, and many others do as well, is that this shake-up, shake-down is an opportunity, actually, for us to redefine ourselves and our human lives and our human purpose. Because we're at the brink. It's sort of like when people are on the threshold of death, they go, oh my God. God, all of a sudden, life is so beautiful. Life is so precious. Why did I waste so much of it? Why did I not take better care of myself? Why did I not respect my own body and mind as temple? Why did I not respect others and treat them with great humility, love, honor, and respect? Because I'm going to my creator. However, we think about that, by the way, even if we think of it as our own higher self, does not matter. Just we get to a point of being 
answerable for ourselves, for our actions, behaviors, our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings. We are the ultimate accountants, <laughs> and we are the ones who have to be accountable for ourselves and how we showed up in this world. And uh, it's very humbling. And it's also a gift that we've been given a life to utilize. So coming back for a moment, and I see that we have a caller, and I'll, I'll tune in to that caller in just one moment. Uh, this, this interplay, this interface I mentioned from the beginning of reality and hope. We must remain uh, truthful to ourselves and not slip into denial, although, my God, it's more than a river, and we swim in the river inside ourselves of denial, in fact, so often, because to remain utterly raw with the facts as they are could be enough to uh, depress somebody, quite honestly. And that's where, my friends, hope kicks in and hope is the generator of possibility and that's why I named this show reality like ug on some levels and ah maybe we can get through this if we stick together if we think correctly if we think rationally if we think logically if we think with our hearts if we come together, if we commune, if we get on the same team. Some of you have played sports. You know what it's like when you come together and you work as one organism on a baseball team, on a basketball team, on a football team, on a soccer team, on a tennis team, on a volleyball court. I've done all of this, and I love all of it. And uh, it create another energy because you feel like you're working for something bigger than yourself. And that generates an energy that is beyond anything that I have ever experienced. It is the, one of the true quintessential experiences that life has to offer. So I feel that it's that kind of huddle, that kind of teamwork. And hope is its generator um, to come together at a time of crisis and as we know, and it is true, I've looked up, I've done the uh, Chinese etymology, and it's a little distant than the way we usually interpret the uh, ideogram, but it remains generally accurate that the ideogram for crisis also is opportunity. I feel comfortable in saying that after having looked at it rather closely. Uh, and so this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of huddling together, um, which is what our tribal nature wants us to do anyway. Uh, I and many, many people truly believe that it is our huddling as a tribe, as a family, as a human species together in small herds, packs, groups, clans, are what brought us to and through our survival. It wasn't killing each other off and fighting for the food. No, 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 no. It was from the sharing of the food that was caught, or the nuts that were picked, or the berries that were selected from the various branches and bushes. This is what kept us alive. Not killing each other off. If we 
killed each other off, we'd all be dead. Um, so we worked together. We helped to support each other's survival. Uh, and one of the amazing things about this Indonesian tsunami, horrible as it is, I heard a couple of reports on the radio that stated that uh, there were people who were watching uh, others get crushed by the falling of buildings and collapsing of houses and this and that. And there's this true fundamental impulse to go in there and try to take the people out and save their lives, even at the peril of one's own loss of life itself. What an interesting phenomenon, right? It's a very interesting amazing phenomenon. So if anybody wonders if we are one, if we are all the same stuff, so to speak, well, I personally interpret that kind of impulse to help each other, uh, even, God knows, if it means our own demise, physical, I should assert, um, we want to do it anyway. Really, really interesting. Anyway, with that said, I want to just take a pause here and um, um, go into a touch of music. And uh, there is a caller, and I will get to that caller in a moment and uh, see what he or she has to share with us. Someone is calling in from afar. You're on the line. Hello? Is there anyone there? Well, I'm here, Mitchell J. Rabin. It's Jack Lynchner. It's Jack Lynchner, my old dear friend Jack Lynchner. What a pleasure. I recognize your area code right away. You are such a joy. It is such a pleasure to hear you speaking from your mind and heart in unison, and how how extraordinarily brilliant you are. I've known you for so many years, and yeah. a great joy just being here. Beautiful. Jack, thank you so much. That's such great input, and I so appreciate it. It's a nourishment to my soul to hear that from anyone, but especially from Jack Lechner, my old dear friend who I've held in the highest esteem for so long as you've been a trooper. I know some of your trooperiness over the years <laughs> between New York and your boathouse off of uh, the coast of New York City on the Hudson River all the way to India and your many, many treks with your camera in hand and uh, brandishing love wherever you go. Thank you, my friend. Well, it's a joy. I, I, used to, I was using the name Jack out of the box, but as I get older, Mitchell, I'm using the name XIT. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's a joy to hear you. We'll talk another time and let you go on Thanks with your so show. I so appreciate Thank you, it, Jack, truly. 
Thanks for calling. Uh, your, okay. your love, your love, and on your love at large. <laughs> <laughs> God bless you, my friend. Thanks for calling. Jack Lenchner, as I said, truly an old friend, and uh, we weren't in India together, but we have shared many stories. He's kept me up at night at times telling amazing stories of his time uh, with Satya Sai Baba in particular and other teachers and people he has known. He's lived a life of miracles, quite honestly. And uh, he's a wise man, truly a wise man. And uh, it's an honor to say that I have had the chance to know Jack for many, many moons and uh, have hung out on his uh, his boat, his houseboat, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always good to hear. And what Jack had to share, and it was such a beautiful surprise to hear from him calling in here, uh, is that this call for y'all is really an expression of, and Jack models the importance of, the power of acknowledgement. And that's a subject I've discussed so many times on this show and on the TV show and through the newsletter, that uh, our neurophysiology shifts in a very positive way. In fact, we get healthier when we are in the midst of people, what in the Buddhist circles we call good company, sangha, uh, but we have that in all spiritual circles, and it doesn't have to be spiritual, just in human circles, social circles. When people acknowledge each other and show appreciation for each other, what literally happens, if you notice yourself, you'll notice most often that your breathing gets a little, duration gets stronger, which means that you're oxygenating yourselves, yourselves, yes, and yourselves deeper which means that they're getting nourished, which means they can function at a higher level. So one thing is connected to the other. What is that wonderful song? The thigh bone's connected to the knee bone, and that's truly the way it works. That song exemplifies holistic thinking, and I just wish doctors would get that, (laughs) since it's all about the skeleton, Um, but not many We want to thank those that do. So coming back, acknowledgement, appreciation, gratitude, love, hope, joy, pleasure, humor, all of these are the hallmarks of a happy, good life. And, you know, what do they say? We know two things for sure in this life. Just really two things. What do they call those? Death and taxes, and not in that order. First you pay your taxes, then you die. And so with we've been forearmed and forewarned. We know these are both in our future <laughs> and our present in some ways. And knowing that is actually a very powerful thing. It puts us into the position of appreciating what we've got while alive. Now, most people don't live in that state of remembering their own death. But I consider that to be a very high and really very noble state. 
that's why, you know, the shamans of old and, um, uh, gosh, how am I forgetting, uh, Castaneda uh, talked about living with death on your shoulder. Well, yeah, that's not a morbid comment whatsoever. It's an empowerment comment because it means I know that a clock is ticking. I know that there will be a time when I expire, I exhale, and I don't inhale again. Well, that's very humbling, isn't it? It sure is. To remember that means that we are positioned to appreciate every single time we breathe. There's nothing morbid about that. That's beautiful. I I mean, in my book, that's a, a celebration of life. And it's remembering the preciousness and the sacredness of life. Very different than the humdrum, mechanical, automaton type of mental state most people are walking around in, staring at their cell phones, may I add, all day long. From home to waking up to showering to brushing to eating to coffee drinking to working to lunching, homing. What? No. This is about life, man. This is about life. It's vital. You know, I've got to tell you, you know, Jack reminds me of so many stories of beautiful times in the East, not only at all. But uh, I was in Kosamoy, beautiful little island in Thailand. And I had uh, just come from Chiang Mai, where I was with Montak Chia at his beautiful Dao Garden. And he had asked me to go there and videotape uh, him and uh, provide their beautiful Dao Garden with some uh, interviews of him that they could loop in the front office and kind of show the magnificence of this place that's based on the on the five elements and... Um, uh, really kind of an old Taoist uh, place. and uh, But I was in Koh Samui doing a, a water fast, quite honestly, with, of course, a nice Jewish girl from Chicago who is Buddhist, who's running the, uh, who's running the um, fast that she's been doing that. Hillary Hitt, if I remember correctly. Hillary Hitt. It's been many years. And uh, Hillary invited me to be there as her guest, and I did some teaching of Qigong there to give back to that beautiful little community, and I did an interview with her there as well for A Better World TV. And she and I have been uh, you know, in touch over the years, um, periodically. And I'm bringing this up because there was something about cleansing, detoxifying, drinking only water, coconut water, and some Chinese herb broth for dinner. Wow. And uh, just cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. That by the fifth day, out in the water, my body felt like it had gotten plugged into an electrical socket. Zing! Like, bam! I became awake. My brain was not feeling like high or caffeinated. No, Alive, that's the only word I can really use. Like my entire electrical body, which we are, by the way, we're 
bioelectrical in nature, biochemical and bioelectrical, was just zapped at a very high level, being in the sun, being in the water, being inwardly clean, probably the coconut water, the magnificent beauty all around me, doing a little qigong and tai chi chuan in the um, uh, low tide. Oh, my God. Sandbar, that's the word I was looking for also. I mean, it was like I said to myself, and I remember to this day, even though that was in 2003. Pretty sure that's when it was, yeah. 2003. And I said, this is what life is about. This is what God had in mind for us. This sense of aliveness. Why would we do anything to muss that up? But in fact, it's our whole lifestyle is almost mussing and fussing and mussing it up. So... I'm just wanting to share that with y'all about aliveness because it's also connected to hope because we can go back to that space of hope when we feel alive because then it feels like there's something we really want to preserve. But if you're walking around like uh, you're already kind of dead, which I hate to say I see too much of in this world, especially with the advent of cell phones and people are literally addicted. Now, I see it all over the place because I live in the Big Apple and I'm on my bike a lot and I have to avoid hitting automatons. <laughs> I hate putting it that way because they're my brothers and my sisters. But they're endangering their lives and other lives by texting and staring at this little object in their hand, not to mention they are just smearing themselves with EMFs, electromagnetic fields, but even that aside, just the act of not being present to the surroundings, not to their environment, wholly plugged in to this one little device and the words, or usually it's not even words, it's images, it's usually movies or film clips or something that uh, is affixing them, or what music videos. It's like, what happened to our world? What's happened how did we fall off the cliff anyway today my friends is a wake-up call and i'm trying to make it fun trying to make it playful i want it to be this but i also want it to be real i want it to be very very sober and sobering because we really are standing on a precipice as i said in my uh, introductory uh statements on the uh, about today's show and last week's. Uh, we recently had environmental scientist Dr. Guy McPherson on who talked to us about NTE. Uh, and, I'm sorry, NDE. Near, what was it? Near, oh, it is NTE, I'm sorry. Near-term extinction. Not near-death experience, that's what I got it mixed up with. But it might not be all that different, except for a couple of letters and an acronym. We're dealing with the potential end of this species. Now, if we take a larger look at the life on this planet and the way life has matured from, you know, let's just call it the Big Bang, that's what we commonly 
Cohen, although I hear that's a very hotly disputed, no pun intended, hotly disputed subject um, in the world of astronomy and astrophysics and the like. It's not quite as we've heard, and I find that inquiry very interesting and very very worthwhile. Uh, But for just the sake of uh, ease and convenience right now, let me uh, indulge in that notion that has uh, been rather mainstream for a long, long time. This idea of a Big Bang and out of which came some elements out of which the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen mix came uh, this form we call life, which may have emerged originally as, I don't know, maybe it was a fungus first, or maybe it was a bacterium, I don't know. But eventually we got the advanced form of what we refer to as an amoeba. And it's a single-celled organism, not that complex, but next to uh, one bacterium it sure is. Uh, And so out of that amoeba, well, eventually came all sorts of really interesting creatures, some very large and land-based after a while, and then us. So you could say that nature and life on this planet is one enormous and really interesting experiment. And we are one of the products of that experiment. We are a product of an experiment called evolution, of nature, some intelligence, some formidable intelligence that gave rise to the elements, which then ultimately gave rise to this thing we call life, uh, which eventually matured and adapted, that's a key word here, uh, to form us, and we take so much for granted. It's the opposite of what it should be. (laughs) We should be grateful for our pinky and our opposing thumb, for crying out loud. I mean, these are breakthroughs, man. But we treat it like, oh, hum, it's a thumb. You know, no, it's a thumb. I've got two of them, no less. I mean, it's remarkable from an evolutionary point of view. It's remarkable. So we can hold things, we can grip things, we... We have a manual dexterity that uh, so many other creatures do not. So we have much for which to be grateful. In this light, however, from this larger, multi-million year perspective, we are but an experiment. Some say an experiment that's gone a little haywire. Some think it's been haywire for a long time. Some think that we have been um, injected uh, with uh, DNA from other planets, from other intelligences. Um, Others think that we were a slave race. You know, if you go back to Zachariah Sitchin and the work of my dear friend uh, Michael Tellinger in South Africa, who picked up a lot on on Sitchin's work and has in many ways interestingly corroborated it and advanced it um, and varied it. Um, There are others that uh, feel that we are a hybrid race um, and we never really fully got our act together. (laughs) Well, I think that we have some evidence of that. But that's not the point here. The point is that uh, it could be that if nature's experiment with us Uh, fails, meaning 
that we did ourselves in, you know, that we ultimately committed uh, genocide through homicide, which is all a form of suicide. Um, That experiment will be over, and there will be others that follow, as there have always been with new animals and creatures and bugs and insects and the like, always emerging from new conditions, because that's what happens. Conditions change, weather patterns change, water availability changes, oxygen availability changes. You know, it's interesting um, being reminded for a moment of um, of uh, a time when it was considered that oxygen was actually a hazard to our lungs, that we were not oxygen-based when we first came out of the water as some form of, you know, uh, land-crawling fish. And oxygen would oxygenate, but it would also, I'm sorry, oxidize. It would oxygenate, but it would also oxidize, which is corrosive in nature. Uh, And we we know that. That's why we don't want our uh, bumpers on and fenders on our cars to be... um, Oxidize because they rust, and we rust through free radicals in our own body. So we have to take antioxidants to neutralize the effect of the rusting effect, the oxidation effect, which is an aging effect and uh, a, um, as I said, a corrosive effect. So it took a tremendous adaptation to grow a pair of lungs um, in order to accommodate this atmosphere, which had oxygen in it, maybe around 32% of oxygen when we first arrived on land. Interesting, huh? So from that point of view, oxygen was toxic. Only CO2 prevailed at that time and we adapted which means we were able to kind of uh, work through extremely difficult stressful conditions and we survived them and here we are again pushed to survive a planet that we have done such harm to we have disrupted the ecosystem of that is so finely tuned because nature has done this magnificent miraculous job of 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 coordinating so many bugs and ants and worms and bacteria and fungus to balance out the elements So soil can be enriched, so things that grow in the soil can become nutritious for any number of species that might be eating those plants, as well as we humans. I mean, it's so magnificent that we would bow down in in humility to the magnificence of nature's intelligence when we contemplate what it is we're really before. 
So, where did the word God come from? Maybe we should really use the word nature. Maybe the words are interchangeable, depending on one's predilection. I don't know. Could well be. Uh, And so, the point is that no matter what, we're holding something that literally gave birth to us ultimately as sacred and to be honored. But that's not the way we collectively treat the earth. We treat her as a waste dump. And it's pathetic. And it's time for us to wake up, feel hopeful about we, our human species, that we can wake up enough and pay attention enough and be conscious enough that we do something about our current situation as we adapt it to uh, oxygen. So we need to now adapt to the current situation. So I call upon all of you to be part of the solution. You know, I recently had Catherine Wilkinson on, the co-author with Paul Hawken of Drawdown, Uh, subtitle, The Most Comprehensive Plan to Reverse Global Warming. Not to mitigate it, to reverse it. Tall order, my friends, but that's what we're going for. Here at A Better World, I am so involved. And if I had some help, if I had some interns that could help me with graphics, that help me with video editing, that help me with administration... I could get a whole lot more done with what I'm doing with carbon sequestration of providing uh, food um, on uh, windowsills with vertical urban farming with um, of dealing with bringing electricity to communities across uh, Africa and South America and Asia that are not electrified, if you can believe that, to this day in the 21st century, there are billions of people that live without electricity. That has become so important to our daily existence. can't even imagine being without it. So I am working with the drawdown recommendations. I had a meeting just this morning with the former director of environmental services of where I live right here in the Big Apple to discuss the use of a uh, waste energy system that would, that has no carbon footprint. Yes, it's true. It costs millions of dollars. But interestingly enough, one of the largest hedge funds in the world owns my community here in New York City and is totally committed to greening and healthizing our planet and all of their properties, solarizing, etc., etc. It is awesome. So there aren't just a bunch of big bad wolves out there in the form of, you know, money-making, hedge fund, wielding, people. There are people who are looking to make a difference and using their wealth to do so. And I think we really need to recognize that. You don't want to ever paint everybody with one brush uh, because of uh, economics or social position or anything like that. It's just just not true. 
We are individual. We are psycho-bio-individual. And we need to be respected as such as we need to respect others as such and appreciate that everyone, sometimes it's buried, has a heart. And we can help to revive, resuscitate, do a little CPR sometimes. But if you push long enough and hard enough and might need to do a little hands-on um, body work, you will reach that heart. And it is, it is pulsing. And it is beating. And we can get good actions out of everybody. Some people don't need extreme measures. Others do. And we just have to be cognizant of that. But anyway, I want to just say that in the Drawdown book, there is this wonderful uh, breakdown of 80 solutions to uh, reversing global warming. And uh, among the top ones is disposing of refrigeration. Interesting. And uh, Freon. And uh, among the top ones are wind turbines. Offshore wind turbines, even higher than solar. So I love both, and I am involved with both. And then um, food waste is another very high thing in worldwide that can be curbed and redistributed so everyone can eat. We don't have a problem with food, even manuf- um, food growing. Uh, we have a problem with distribution, which is oftentimes political sad as that may sound. So there doesn't have to be one hungry person in this world. Based on today's production, not even increasing it. So these are the kinds of things we need to recommend. Anyway, all of this can engender hope. I've been very real. That's the reality part of it. I've been very real. I've been laying out a lot of issues. And there are many, 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 many more. Don't get me started. No, I'm kidding. I've already begun. I want to focus now on hope. And there really is hope. And I'm suggesting that when we band together in our clans, in our tribes, with our kin, as in kindred spirits, our kin, in our ken, these are all of German derivation and has to do with where we live, our cave, our hearth, our home, our heart. Those with whom we feel kinship, we need to build community so we can commune and we can be creative and we can build a way of life, shelter, food, water in ways that do not pollute, that are in accordance with nature, following the Tao, which this is all old news. I did not invent this. Paul Hawken did not invent this. This is old news, my friend. But humans are just slow to get it, just slow. So I guess it takes people like me and like many of my friends have been saying the same thing. I'm not original in this. I may have my unique way of expressing, but... The ideas are fundamental, and maybe I come up with an interesting, unique idea here and there. But fundamentally, I am playing the same tune as my forefathers and my ancestors and my tribes and our tribes have been singing for a long time. Get real, get honest, see the truth, and act on it on behalf of others 
and ourselves. Be of service. Enjoy life. Death and taxes. I should say, I'm sorry, taxes and death. They await us. <laughs> Let's make really healthy, fun, loving use, compassionate use, constructive and creative use of our lives while we have them. And that, my friends, really is a hopeful message. It really is. And we can come together and we can do a lot of good. And by so doing, we can also do well. No harm in that. There's no problem with making even gobs of money. Just do it well. Do it wisely. Do it in accordance with nature and each other instead of in violation of or in betrayal of, which we've seen way too much of. Now is the time in the new cycle for that to shift. So on that note, I want to just say, talk about shifting. There are two events happening in New York City that A Better World is part of. One is the Pachamama Luncheon, which is taking place November 2nd uh, at Pier mm, uh, near 23rd Street. I'll get the details on that. It's on my website abetterworld.tv. Please go. Please join us. It's an open luncheon. All are welcome, uh, but it is, you do have to register with us at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. Just put into the subject line, um, sign me up, Mitch, for the luncheon. And Lynn Twist will be there, and Bill Twist, her lovely husband, and usually some Achuar uh, Native Americans are coming from the Ecuadorian rainforest, and it's a very real, very awake, very alive, very nurturing and nourishing time together. And I really welcome you all to sup with us. It is a fundraiser, make no mistake, and to whatever extent someone can give to the Pachamama Alliance to continue its brilliant work. Um, in educating us all about our relationship with the environment, with social and economic and political justice. It really runs the gamut and shows us how all of these are completely interconnected. They are not separate issues. They are completely intimately related, and they do a wonderful job in helping to articulate that. And I deeply appreciate them, and I facilitate the Awakening the Dreamer seminar uh, here in New York. I've done it, and I've offered it with others, my comrades, my colleagues, and also the online Game Changer Intensive. I've facilitated that as well for Pachamama Alliance, and they're a lot of fun. They're deeply awakening and highly educational, and you feel connected. You feel connected to a lot of brothers and sisters who are really coming from the same place as we are here in our A Better World community. So we are not alone. That's another very important point to stress when you're being and seeking to be hopeful. We're not alone. It may feel like you're alone. And you may be alone in your own apartment or dwelling, but you are not alone. You are part of a very large, deeply beautiful community of people who really care about our planet and uh, care about life itself and service to each other and to the earth herself. So please know that as a fundamental point. 
please remember that. And so that's November 2nd, a Friday at noon. Uh, as I say, just email me for that. And on October 30th, Tuesday night at 7 p.m., I will be holding a public conversation with a neuroscientist, Julia Mossbridge, whose focus is on precognition, the nature and science behind telepathy, intuition, dreams. She's a fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. She's lovely. She's funny. She's fun. And at the Ascension Church, no less, NYC, at uh, which is on Fifth Avenue between 10th and 11th Streets, West Side, we'll actually be using one of their side rooms at 12 West 11th Street. It's only $10. Tell your friends. I want to pack the room. It's a a benefit for a better world, and uh, we've kept the price really low, but donations of any size are accepted. It helps to keep us going by sharing uh, this wonderful material. And it's it's biological. It's survival-based. Knowing, being able to look into the future, to be able to so-called bend time by going beyond its linearity, uh, gives us access to what's happening next, to look around the corner, so to speak. And um, not only is it uh, good for survival, it's fun to know what pleasure is before us, what fun is before us, what dangers may be before us. This is part of our human potential. These are neurons that haven't yet been titillated. And this is a chance, my friends, to titillate your neurons in public. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed that all. Anyway, please remember that uh, we have services here at A Better World. I am, yes, a holistic therapist and communications and life coach. I do consulting to those who need it, whether those are individuals or couples or families. Uh, Space is no issue. We use phone and Skype. I do biofeedback. It's fun. It's interesting. It reads energy fields. We have an ongoing automatic 24-7 energy balancing system called the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, which costs, I think it's $600 a year, and then we scale it down by $50 over the years. People have stuck with us for, my God, at this point, over 15 or 16 years. It's amazing. Actually, in some cases, 18 years. Awesome, and we thank you all for that. And uh, but the counseling and coaching services are available. Just contact me at two one two four two zero zero eight hundred or mjr at abetterworld dot net. If you do not yet receive our newsletter, please go to www dot tv and in the right hand column, you will see a chance to sign up for our weekly newsletter. So these are the things that are going on. Uh, If you go to the website, you can also buy tickets for the event at the Ascension Church conversation, public conversation, called Reading the Future with Julia Mossbridge and Mitchell Rabin. And we'd love to have you join us because we're going to have a lot of fun. So on that note, I just want to thank you all again Remember, we are a 501c3, a nonprofit, and if you have any ability to make donations to us, we so appreciate it. 
we feel here that you are investing in creating a better world. So it's not just like a little gift. It's actually helping to keep us on the air and to expand our platform, which we really, really like doing. So again, thanks again, Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.